Part one of Colonel Chabert. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Colonel Chabert by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Clara Bell and Ellen Marriage. Dedication to Madame la Comtesse Ida de Bocam, née du Chastelet. Hello, there's that old box coat again. This exclamation was made by a lawyer's clerk of the class called in French officers a gutter jumper, a messenger, in fact, who at this moment was eating a piece of dry bread with a hearty appetite. He pulled off a morsel of crumb to make into a bullet and fired it gleefully through the open pane of the window against which he was leaning. The pellet, well aimed, rebounded almost as high as the window, after hitting the hat of a stranger who was crossing the courtyard of a house in the Rue Vivienne, where dwelt Maître Deville, attorney at law. Come, Simonin, don't play tricks on people, or I will turn you out of doors. However poor a client may be, he is still a man, hang it all, said the head clerk, pausing in the addition of a bill of costs. The lawyer's messenger is commonly, as was Simonin, a lad of thirteen or fourteen, who, in every office, is under the special jurisdiction of the managing clerk, whose errands and billets doux keep him employed on his way to carry writs to the bailiffs and petitions to the courts. He is akin to the street boy in his habits, and to the pettifogger by fate. The boy is almost always ruthless, unbroken, unmanageable, a ribald rhymester, impudent, greedy, and idle. And yet almost all these clerklings have an old mother lodging on some fifth floor, with whom they share their pittance of thirty or forty francs a month. If he is a man, why do you call him old boxcoat? asked Simonin, with the air of a schoolboy who has caught out his master. And he went on eating his bread and cheese, leaning his shoulder against the window-jam, for he rested standing like a cab-horse, or one of his legs raised and propped against the other, on the toe of his shoe. What trick can we play that cove? said the third clerk, whose name was Godeschal, in a low voice, pausing in the middle of a discourse he was extemporising, in an appeal engrossed by the fourth clerk, of which copies were being made by two neophytes from the provinces. Then he went on improvising. But in his noble and beneficent wisdom, his majesty, Louis the Eighteenth, write it at full length, eh, Desroches the learned, you, as you engross it, when he resumed the reins of government, understood. What did that old nincompoop ever understand? The high mission to which he had been called by divine providence. A note of admiration and six stops. They are pious enough at the courts to let us put six. And his first thought, as is proved by the date of the order hereinafter designated, was to repair the misfortunes caused by the terrible and sad disasters of the revolutionary times by restoring to his numerous and faithful adherents, numerous is flattering and ought to please the bench, all their unsold estates, whether within our realm, or in conquered or acquired territory, or in the endowments of public institutions, for we are, and proclaim ourselves competent to declare, that this is the spirit and meaning of the famous truly loyal order given in— Stop, said Godeschal, to the three copying clerks. That rascally sentence brings me to the end of my page. Well, he went on, wetting the back fold of the sheet with his tongue, so as to be able to fold back the page of thick stamped paper. Well, if you want to play him a trick— tell him that the master can only see his client between two and three in the morning we shall see if he comes the old ruffian and godeschal took up the sentence he was dictating given in are you ready yes cried the three writers it all went all together the appeal the gossip and the conspiracy given in here daddy Boucard, what is the date of the order we must dot our i's and cross our t's by jingo it helps to fill the pages by jingo repeated one of the copying clerks before Boucard, the head clerk could reply 
what have you written by jingo cried godachon looking at one of the novices with an expression at once stern and humorous why yes said desroches the fourth clerk leaning across his neighbour's copy he has written we must dot our eyes and spelt it by gingo all the clerks shouted with laughter why monsieur here you take by jingo for a law term and you say you come from mortagne exclaimed simonin scratch it cleanly out said the head clerk if the judge whose business it is to tax the bill were to see such things he would say you were laughing at the whole boiling you would hear of it from the chief come no more of this nonsense monsieur here a norman ought not to write out an appeal without thought it is the shoulder-arms of the law given in in asked godachon tell me when Bucard. june eighteen fourteen replied the head clerk without looking up from his work a knock at the office door interrupted the circumlocutions of the prolix document five clerks with rows of hungry teeth bright mocking eyes and curly heads lifted their noses towards the door after crying all together in a singing tone come in boucard kept his face buried in a pile of papers Boutille, odds and ends in french law jargon and went on drawing out the bill of costs on which he was busy the office was a large room furnished with a traditional stool which is to be seen in all these dens of law quibbling the stove-pipe crossed the room diagonally to the chimney of a bricked-up fireplace on the marble chimney-piece were several chunks of bread triangles of brie cheese pork cutlets glasses bottles and the head clerk's cup of chocolate the smell of these dainties blended so completely with that of the immoderately overheated stove and the odour peculiar to offices and old papers that the trail of a fox would not have been perceptible the floor was covered with mud and snow brought in by the clerks near the windows stood the desk with a revolving lid where the head clerk worked and against the back of it was the second clerk's table the second clerk was at this moment in court it was between eight and nine in the morning the only decoration of the office consisted in huge yellow posters announcing seizures of real estate sales settlements under trust final or interim judgments all the glory of a lawyer's office behind the head clerk was an enormous room of which each division was crammed with bundles of papers with an infinite number of tickets hanging from them at the ends of red tape which give a peculiar physiognomy to law papers the lower rows were filled with cardboard boxes yellow with use on which might be read the names of the more important clients whose cases were juicily stewing at this present time the dirty window-panes admitted but little daylight indeed there are very few offices in paris where it is possible to write without lamplight before ten in the morning in the month of february for they all left to very natural neglect every one comes and no one stays no one has any personal interest in a scene of mere routine neither the attorney nor the counsel nor the clerks trouble themselves about the appearance of a place which to the youths is a schoolroom to the clients a passage to the chief a laboratory the greasy furniture is handed down to successive owners with such scrupulous care that in some offices may still be seen boxes of remainders machines for twisting parchment gut and bags left by the prosecuting parties of the chatelet abbreviated to schlepp a court which under the old order of things represented the present court of first instance or county court so in this dark office thick with dust there was as in all its fellows something repulsive to the clients something which made it one of the most hideous monstrosities of paris nay were it not for the mouldy sacristies where prayers are weighed out and paid for like groceries and for the old clothes-shops where flutter the rags that blight all the illusions of life by showing us the last end of all our festivities an attorney's office would be of all social marts the most loathsome but we might say the same of the gambling hell of the law-court of the lottery-office of the brothel but why 
in these places perhaps the drama being played in a man's soul makes him indifferent to accessories which would also account for the single-mindedness of great thinkers and men of great ambitions where's my penknife i'm eating my breakfast you go and be hanged here's a blot on the copy silence gentlemen these various exclamations were uttered simultaneously at the moment when the old client shut the door with the sort of humility which disfigures the movements of a man down on his luck the stranger tried to smile but the muscles of his face relaxed as he vainly looked for some symptoms of amenity on the inexorably indifferent faces of the six clerks accustomed no doubt to gauge men he very politely addressed the gutter-jumper hoping to get a civil answer from this boy of all work monsieur is your master at home the pert messenger made no reply but patted his ear with the fingers of his left hand as much as to say i am deaf what do you want sir asked godeschal swallowing as he spoke a mouthful of bread big enough to charge a four-pounder flourishing his knife and crossing his legs throwing up one foot in the air to the level of his eyes this is the fifth time i have called replied the victim i wish to speak to monsieur derville on business yes but i can explain it to no one but monsieur derville is in bed if you wish to consult him on some difficulty he does no serious work till midnight but if you will lay the case before us we could help you just as well as he can too the stranger was unmoved he looked timidly about him like a dog who has got into a strange kitchen and expects a kick by grace of their profession lawyers clerks have no fear of thieves they did not suspect the owner of the box-coat and left him to study the place where he looked in vain for a chair to sit on for he was evidently tired attorneys on principle do not have many chairs in their offices the inferior client being kept waiting on his feet goes away grumbling but then he does not waste time which as an old lawyer once said is not allowed for when the bill is taxed monsieur said the old man as i have already told you i cannot explain my business to any one but monsieur derville i will wait till he is up boucard had finished his bill he smelt the fragrance of his chocolate rose from his cane armchair went to the chimney-piece, looked the old man from head to foot, stared at his coat, and made an indescribable grimace. He probably reflected that, whichever way his client might be wrung, it would be impossible to squeeze out a centime, so he put in a few brief words to rid the office of a bad customer. "'It is the truth, monsieur. The chief only works at night. If your business is important, I recommend you to return at one in the morning.' The stranger looked at the head clerk with a bewildered expression, and remained motionless for a moment the clerks accustomed to every change of countenance and the odd whimsicalities to which indecision or absence of mind gives rise in parties went on eating making as much noise with their jaws as horses over a manger and paying no further heed to the old man i will come again to-night said the stranger at length with the tenacious desire peculiar to the unfortunate to catch humanity at fault the only irony allowed to poverty is to drive justice and benevolence to unjust denials when a poor wretch has convicted society of falsehood, he throws himself more eagerly on the mercy of God. What do you think of that for a cracked pot, said Simonin, without waiting till the old man had shut the door? He looks as if he had been buried and dug up again, said a clerk. He is some colonel who wants his arrears of pay, said the head clerk. No, he's a retired concierge, said Godeschal. I bet you he's a nobleman, cried Boucard. I bet you he has been a porter, retorted Godeschal only porters are gifted by nature with shabby box-coats as worn and greasy and frayed as that old body's and did you see his trodden-down boots that let the water in and his stock which serves for a shirt he has slept in a dry arch he may be of noble birth and yet have pulled the door-latch cried desroches it has been known no boucard insisted in the midst of laughter i maintain that he was a brewer in seventeen eighty nine and a colonel in the time of the republic 
I bet theatre tickets round that he never was a soldier, said Godeschal. Done with you, answered Boucard. Monsieur, monsieur, shouted the little messenger, opening the window. What are you at now, Simonin? asked Boucard. I am calling him that you may ask him whether he is a colonel or a porter. He must know. All the clerks laughed. As to the old man, he was already coming upstairs again. What can we say to him? cried Godeschal. Leave it to me, replied Boucard. The poor man came in nervously, his eyes cast down, perhaps not to betray how hungry he was, by looking too greedily at the eatables. Monsieur, said Boucard, will you have the kindness to leave your name, so that Monsieur Derville may know? Chabert. The colonel who was killed at Eylau, asked Hure, who, having so far said nothing, was jealous of adding a jest to all the others. The same, monsieur, replied the good man, with antique simplicity. And he went away. Phew! Done brown! Poof! Oh! Ah! Boom! The old rogue! Ting-a-ring-ting! Sold again! Monsieur de Roche, you are going to the play without paying, said Hure to the fourth clerk giving him a slap on the shoulder that might have killed a rhinoceros. There was a storm of catcalls, cries, and exclamations, which all the onomatopoeia of the language would fail to represent. Which theatre shall we go to? To the opera, cried the head clerk. In the first place, said Godeschal, I never mentioned which theatre. I might, if I chose, take you to see Madame Saki. Madame Saki is not the play. What is a play? replied Godeschal. First we must define the point of fact. What did I bet, gentlemen? A play. What is a play? A spectacle. What is a spectacle? Something to be seen. But on that principle you would pay your bet by taking us to see the water run under the pont neuf, cried Simonin, interrupting him. To be seen for money, Godeschal added. But a great many things are to be seen for money that are not plays. The definition is defective, said Desroches. But do listen to me. You are talking nonsense, my dear boy, said Boucard. Is Kirschus a play? said Godeschal. No, said the head clerk. It is a collection of figures. But it is a spectacle. I bet you a hundred francs to a sou, Godeschal resume, that Kirscher's waxworks form such a show as might be called a play or theatre. It contains a thing to be seen at various prices, according to the place you choose to occupy. And so on and so forth, said Simonin. You mind I don't box your ears, said Godeschal. The clerks shrugged their shoulders. Besides, it is not proved that the old ape was not making game of us, he said, dropping his argument, which was drowned in the laughter of the other clerks. On my honour, Colonel Chabert is really and truly dead. His wife is married again to Comte Ferraud, Council of State. Madame Ferraud is one of our clients. Come, the case is remanded till tomorrow, said Boucard. To work, gentlemen. The deuce is in it. We get nothing done here. Finish copying that appeal. It must be handed in before the sitting of the fourth chamber. Judgment is to be given to-day. Come, on you go. If he really were Colonel Chabert, would not that impudent rascal Simonin have felt the leather of his boot in the right place when he pretended to be deaf? said Desroches, regarding this remark as more conclusive than Godeschal's. Since nothing is settled, said Boucard, let us all agree to go to the upper boxes of the Francais and see Talma and Nero. Simonin may go to the pit. And thereupon the head clerk sat down at his table, and the others followed his example. Given in June, 1814, in words, said Godeschal. Ready? Yes, replied the two copying clerks and the engrosser, whose pens forthwith began to creak over the stamped paper, making as much noise in the office as a hundred cockchafers imprisoned by schoolboys in paper cages. And we hope that my lord's on the bench, the extemporizing clerk went on. Stop! I must read my sentence through again. I do not understand it myself. Forty-six, that must often happen, and three-forty-nine, said Boucard. 
we hope godishal began again after reading all through the document that my lords on the bench will not be less magnanimous than the august author of the decree and that they will do justice against the miserable claims of the acting committee of the chief board of the legion of honour by interpreting the law in the wide sense we have here set forth monsieur godachal wouldn't you like a glass of water said the little messenger that impable boy said Boucard. here get on your double-soled shanks mare take this packet and spin off to the invalide here set forth godachal went on and in the interest of madame la vicomtesse at full length de grandlieu what cried the chief are you thinking of drawing up an appeal in the case of vicomtesse de grandlieu against the legion of honour a case for the office to stand or fall by you are something like an ass have the goodness to put aside your copies and your notes you may keep all that for the case of navarin against the hospitals it is late i will draw up a little petition myself with a due allowance of inasmuch and go to the courts myself this scene is typical of the thousand delights which when we look back on our youth make us say those were good times End of part one.